What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the E-Floor Explosive Podcast. I'm Corey, and today I interview Lena Derhali, who is a psychiatrist, psychotherapist, um, who basically wrote the book on the Chris Watts story, which is the case of the man in his mid-30s who annihilated his family. He killed his pregnant wife, uh, their two children, um, and dumped her body in a shallow grave and put them in an oil tank. So... Um, it was kind of crazy. It, it shocked the world. Um, he got multiple life sentences. He's in prison now. But this happened right here in Colorado, up in, I think it's Franklin, above Denver. And it was a crazy story. Um, but we go into detail of, of why he did it um, or why they think he did it. Um, the narcissism aspect of things. And then we really talk about the, this term of, of family annihilators, someone who typically is a male in their mid thirties that do this around, uh, in August of the summer, summer months, and they basically annihilate their family. Most of them kill themselves. So there's really no kind of data, but he's a rare case, um, that didn't kill himself. But Anyway, we bring up Scott Peterson because um, he was kind of like the OG family annihilator, I guess you could say. We talk a lot about mental health and how important it is to normalize it. And we cover both books, the first one on Chris Watts and the second one that comes out in May, which is called The Facebook Narcissist, which is so true. And a lot of you will be able to relate to this because we're so drawn into social media and we're on our phones 24-7. The impact that it has on your mental health is insane. Not to say you shouldn't have social media or you can't have it or to delete your accounts, but just be aware of what it's doing to you and to people around you. So like this video, subscribe to the channel and hit that bell notification so you get notified every single time this phase comes on your screen, which is every Friday. So do that for me. And enjoy this episode of the E4 Explosive Podcast with psychotherapist Lena Derhali. Peace out. This episode of the E4 Explosive Podcast is brought to you by Bravo Concealment. Bravo Concealment is known for some of the best high-quality and concealable holsters on the market. Located in the great state of Texas, they offer free shipping and unlimited lifetime warranty on all of their products. And a 30-day money-back guarantee if you don't like the product. I've been using Bravo Concealment for my gun holsters ever since I got into guns, and the quality is by far, bar none, the top notch in the entire industry that I've seen. And right now they're doing a buy one, get one free, plus free shipping, the 30 day money back guarantee and a lifetime warranty. On top of that, you, my friends, will get 10% off of any product of any purchase on their website by using explicit 10. Use the code explicit 10 and you'll get 10% off your entire purchase from bravoconcealment.com. What's up, guys? Today's episode of the E4 Explosive Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. They're the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer. This guy. The Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right. The Lawnmower 4.0. It's got a flashlight. So join over 2 million men worldwide, just like me, that trust Manscaped and get an exclusive offer just for you. You're going to get 20% off plus worldwide free shipping. Use the code EXPLICIT20 at manscaped.com. All right, guys. Well, welcome back to another episode of the E4 Exclusive Podcast. I'm Corey, and today we have Lena Darhali, who 
as many things, uh, but I'm going to let her talk about who she is. So just, just Lena, tell me about yourself, your experience. Um, uh, you're a psychologist. Obviously, this is why I really want to talk to you, but you have a lot of other cool things about you. So just kind of let my audience know who you are. Who's Lena? Okay. Um, okay, we'll start. Yeah, I'm a licensed <laughs> psychotherapist and I'm in private practice and I am certified in something called Omago Relationship Therapy. So one of my specialties is working with relationships, singles, couples. I do some sex therapy too. You, you know, that's always an interesting topic. Uh, but that's actually one of the most common issues that people come to couples therapy for. So when I started working with couples, I realized, oh, there's so many more things that you need to do, you know, to work with couples. So I do sex therapy. I'm trauma informed. I started my career doing end of life work and in oncology. So I also, you know, have some grief and, and loss that I, I work with that kind of stuff. Wow and anxiety and general life transition. So kind of all over the place with um, the therapy career. Uh, but recently I've transitioned also to a, a second career, which is an author. And I know we're gonna talk about um, both books today, but the first book is kind of random uh, when people hear about what I do. It's a true crime about the Chris Watts case out in Colorado where Corey is right yes. now. And it was a case you know, that shocked the world. It really was. It, it had an international cult following. So I was completely fascinated um, and very disturbed like everybody else, which is sort of how does this happen? It was really the most puzzling case that I've ever encountered in my lifetime. And so I set out to write a book exploring the psychology of it really at the end of the day. I mean, I tell the story because you have to know the details in order to then psychologically dissect what, you know, I what I think happened uh, and still nobody will ever really know the true reasons why, but it's a psychological exploration of sort of what could have been going on in the mind of Chris Watts and what are some of the factors that could have led him to annihilate his entire family as a person who had no warning signs. So I think that was the most, um, you know, really darkly intriguing part of the book is how to, how does somebody prevent this if there's no warning sign. So I also wanted to look at it as, you know, a safety, a prevention type thing is, is there anything we can learn from this? Are there any signs that we can look for? And then uh, I am, my clinical interests are narcissism. So that kind of bridges from the true crime to my second book. So, you know, little uh, sneak peek is that one of my potential speculations about Chris is some narcissism with him. I um, also am very interested in social media and how that impacts people's mental health. And so I have a book coming out in May, which is available for pre-order now. And it's called The Facebook Narcissist, how Love to that. identify and protect yourself and your loved ones from social media narcissism. I still have to make sure I get that title right. But um, so that's going to be looking at how narcissism manifests on social media and how that impacts our mental health and our well-being, and what does that mean for our future and for children growing up with this? And you know, it looks at everything from influencer and celebrity culture to everything from you know politics and and race and all these social justice movements we're seeing online to parenting to addiction, cyber addictions to trolls and cyber stalkers and cyber bullies. So there's so many correlations in the research with narcissism and kind of the worst 
things that we're seeing with social media and big tech. So that's the next book coming out. Um, and other than that, Corey mentioned that I'm, I used to be a professional DJ in New York City. I still DJ like the kid block parties. I have kids, so that's awesome. I'm, you know, I'm not um, in the scene anymore. But yeah, sometimes I'll do like the local holiday party or the block party. Um, and sick. I have a background in improv and stand-up comedy, so I love, I love humor, and I, you know, I try to indulge those parts of me still. So I love doing interviews because I, I like kind of being off the cuff and talking right. with people. So thank you for having me. No, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. I was I was so pumped when when uh, last week's episode of well not last week when this is coming out, but Mark Safrick is an FBI profiler. When I talked to him and he told me about the documentary uh, Suburban Nightmare, the Chris Watts story. I'm assuming they're going to do a bunch of maybe Suburban Nightmare other things. Is how they might that's how they laid it out. But some of those shows don't really continue that way but um when i when i he told me he was going to be on it i was like oh cool i'll definitely check it out because that case i've always been fascinated of course he tells me like when we're like done the podcast and i'm like man you should have said this earlier because i have so many questions <laughs> so uh i watched it and i was like holy shit um i wish there was more but it was kind of like open shut it really wasn't that they could have gone further like what we're about to do as far as like the whys and the the other things in hindsight for sure but when i watched it i saw you um i don't even know the two other ladies on there who were all of you were amazing um i thought that the information that you guys were putting out the the correlations that you guys were kind of bringing to to the surface were fascinating um which is why i reached out to you and i'm glad you accepted um but yeah, we're definitely gonna talk about you being a DJ for sure. That's a priority. Um, also, stand up. What? Well, I guess I should. I, I've I've only like performed once at a comedy club. That's I awesome. dabbled in it. I dabbled in it. That's a hard like, thing to do. I was pregnant with my second child, and I was like, I want to do something before the, <laughs> the baby comes. So I took a class and I did a show, and That's it was great. really fun. Yeah. Yeah. No. You've got to have lightness, you know. When, you, when I work with a, I work with a lot That's of true. dark things, you know. So it helps keep things like the yin and the yang. That's true. That makes that's actually a good point. That's a great contrast too. like stand up comedy, just kind of improv in general. Like I come from a film background, so I'm like entrenched in all that stuff as well. Not me doing it, but like being around it. And it's like so amazing to see people when they do that kind of stuff. It's it's I love it. It's very entertaining. Kudos to you because it's a hard thing to do stand up. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, I think improv's a lot easier actually than stand up because oh, yeah. at least you have a team with you. Yes. So kind of if you mess up, there's somebody to kind of catch you. But yep, yep. stand up, you're on your own. Yep. No, it's I've I've always thought about it, but I'm always like, yeah, am I am I funny? Like people laugh what I say, but it's like, will that hit differently in an audience? I don't know what I would do with myself. Um, okay. So let's talk about the dark. Let's talk about Chris Watts um, and start from the beginning as far as, um, you know, it's piqued your interest just like it did everyone else. You're exactly right. It was a phenomenon. It was kind of like, you know, what in the hell happened? I mean, it's weird, honestly, like living in Colorado now, it's like, there's a lot of weird shit that happens here, like certain murder cases, school mm -hmm. shooting, things that just always are happening. Like, why is it always in this area? And yeah. when I saw this case, I was like, I didn't think he did it until I saw his interview when he was wearing a North Carolina shirt. And I'm like, and then social media was like, all these professionals were just like breaking down his reactions and his responses. And he was speaking like in the past. And I was like, holy shit. And it was kind of like, this guy did it. Like, there's no, what else could have happened? And, but anyway, um, I'm going to ask you straight up. Why do you think he did it? 
So I think I agree with, you know, most of the other professionals on the motive for doing it was he met another woman and he wanted a new life with her. Mm-hmm. But I have to say that normal people, and I say normal, right, is like people who don't kill their families. So, you know, <laughs> that is not a normal solution. And so one of the one of the things I set out to do with my book is I studied psychopathy for this book and I interviewed a criminal profiler for my book and she was just matter of fact I asked her and I said what do you think and she said I call him a failed psychopath and I thought oh that's really interesting and she did her dissertation on something called community psychopaths she actually is at the University of um, Colorado at Denver I believe and uh, Colorado perfect place (laughs) yeah and she says you know the only psychopaths we study are the ones in jail but there are many many more who are live among us wow. and you may, they may be in your neighborhood, super creepy, but there's something, you know, there's nonviolent. Yeah. Corey's looking around yeah, I'm like behind your shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I think that's actually what was really scary for a lot, especially women about Chris Watts is right. like, Oh my gosh, Shanann Watts had no idea she was married to this really dark person and that he, ha- he kept this dark side, you know, from everyone who knew him. I truly believe that. And so, you know, that's the scary thing is, do you ever really know anyone? But back to community psychopaths. So, you know, this, um, uh, this psych, this criminal profile filer told me he's a failed psychopath because he ended up in jail, Mm -hmm. but psychopaths can go an entire lifetime and maybe never be caught for some of the things they do or never commit any real crimes. And so I started to try to understand, well, what is psychopathy? Because it's not just what we think of as, you know, serial killers or violent offenders. It's actually way more broader than that. And so I like to tell people, I agree with that, you know, there's the, he was living a life as a normal average person blending in until his psychopathy had the perfect storm of factors that emerged that uh, prompted him to do something like this. And so a psychopathic mind, and I I explained this a little bit in Suburban Nightmare, but I can't get too in depth because, you know, it's, it's TV, so you don't get as, as much in there, but, um, when I was studying psychopaths, I learned that when they have a problem, they turn to something that's called an antisocial solution. Whereas people who are not psychopaths, um, who have empathy and attachments and, and things like that to other humans and animals, they turn to pro-social solutions. So when I was looking at the Chris Watts case, I said, okay, well, all the FBI profilers and the professionals and Dr. Phil and everybody, you know, who's been on TV are like, yeah, his motivation was to be with this other woman. His family was in the way. He didn't feel he could start anew or fresh with all that baggage. So in his mind, the solution was, okay, I'll just kill them. And for us, it's like, how, what, how do you, how is that a solution that even makes sense or that you, you know, and again, that's where the narcissism component is, is that these people who come up with these solutions I also think I'm going to get away with it or they wouldn't do it. So he actually thought this was a good solution and that he could get away with it. And he was so overconfident. You know, he made the stupidest mistakes. Anyone who's followed the case can track them all and say, oh my gosh, you know, this was, but it was also a premeditated thing. So I don't think it was premeditated for months, but days, potentially weeks. And so, you know, it's uh, his wife, Shanann, by contrast was looking for pro-social solutions when she started to feel very quickly that her marriage was deteriorating. She was, you know, sending him self-help books. She was like, please, can we go to couples counseling and please I'll change. You know, she was, that's what a real, you know, 
wonderful, nice, insightful person in a relationship does is they look at themselves and say, I want this to work. What am I doing? How can I change? But, you know, he, she wasn't dealing with somebody who was close to being on the same page as her. And so he was already, he had made up his mind and that's what he was going to do. And he did it. Right. Yeah, no, he did. And that, that's, that's a scary thing you brought up was the, was a community psychopath you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, just the, the psychopaths among us, or there's a book called the sociopath next door, which is probably very similar to that concept. Right. So how do you, cause I totally agree with you. I think there's people all over the place that just have that in them. And, and it's funny you say perfect storm, because when I talk to any, any homicide detective, any profiler, any FBI agent, they always say the same thing. Cause I ask why do people kill and, or even psychologists that I've spoken to, they say, well, there has to be this perfect storm of like, it's not like they could have thought about it premeditated. That's fine. But most times like you'll see serial killers even say like, I didn't even I didn't even mean to kill this person or sometimes a person they didn't kill and they got away just because like, it just wasn't a perfect enough storm for them to really go all the all in. Um, But now when it comes to community psychopaths, how, if there's no warning signs and there might be, how do you know if, you know, you know, next door neighbor is, you know, John Wayne Gacy. You know what I mean? Because there's so many people like them, like Ted Bundy, they just, they blend in so well. Uh, And that's a different era of serial killers and stuff like that. But someone like Chris Watts, I don't even consider him. I I don't know. Should I consider him a serial killer? Could he have been one? Or, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I was listening to your podcast with Mark, actually, where he was talking about the history of serial killers and how, you know, we only recently coined that term. I think it was 1977, he said. And before they used to not have a real term for it, you could say, well, I guess it was a mass murder, but right. you know, they call somebody like Chris Watts, not a serial killer. Cause I guess it's not in a series. Well, it wasn't a series. He killed them, you know, not all at the same time. It was right. sort of a one by one process over several hours, but um, you know, they also refer to him as a family annihilator. And I'm Ugh. sure family annihilators can have what we call personality disorders, which is narcissism, uh, antisocial personality disorder, which could also be correlated with sociopaths and psychopaths. All of these things are very similar and have, you know, certain subtle differences. Right. Um, and so, but, you know, I think, I think of it as all just a person who lacks empathy and conscience and mm. doesn't have attachments to people. Right. And so, you know, that's, that's what I think of when I think of the word psychopath, family annihilator, you know, there, there's some factors of family annihilators that, you know, there's very little research that's been done on them. Actually, the research we do have, I mean, Chris Watts fits the profile. He's in his thirties. They're men usually in their thirties. They usually um, commit these crimes over the summer in August. That's when Chris Watts, you know, killed his family. Um, they have several different motivations, although the main motivation for family annihilators is usually not, you know, an affair and wanting to move on, you know, it can be serious mental illness and hallucinations and delusions, Mm. or could be financial failure when, you know, the man feels like he's financially failed his family. There's several family annihilator cases where, you know, they may have been in great debt and they didn't want the family to find out, or they had a lot of shame around not being able to provide. And there was probably, you know, a mix of mental illness in there as well. Um, There's religious, you know, uh, religious factors that go in again, that may correlate with delusions and hallucinations of, oh, I'm saving my family, you know, I'm saving my family from something by killing them. 
What was really interesting, what I think sets Chris Watts apart from a lot of the family annihilators that have been studied is that I think it's 80% of family annihilators kill themselves after they kill their family. Right. Chris Watts didn't do that. And I believe he had zero intention of doing that. If you look at the steps that he took after, like he was, um, for people who don't know about the case, and this is, this is in my book, I try to put as many details as possible, literally right after he killed his family. And this is brutally murdering his daughters who were toddlers preschool age and putting their bodies in oil tanks. Like this is really sick, crazy stuff. Right. He just did all that put his pregnant wife in a shallow grave. And then he moves along and goes to work. Like nothing happened, texting his girlfriend, sending her pictures of sunflowers. Jesus. And then he calls his daughter's daycare school and, you know, matter of fact, tells them they're not going to be coming back anymore. Again, he thinks like he's going to get away with all this, which what? people like us are like, what, what? But again, that's the narcissism, the inability to understand that other people are like, no, this isn't right. So he try he unenrolls his children from school. And the woman who answers the phone is like, what? Okay, is everything okay? And he texts his real estate agent and is like, I want to sell my house. And you know, he's just he responds to an email oh about fantasy God. football where he says, Hey, I'm in. And he's going around, you know, he's like, I did it. I wiped my hands. He's like, I'm ready to live my new life. This I didn't is know any of this. Within hours after killing them, hours. What? Yeah. 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 And then you see him on the porch, which is again, everybody who saw that video on the porch of Chris Watts. And, you know, I said this, they actually put this in the documentary. I was like, everybody saw that and everybody knew yep. something is not right. We all have the gut feeling. We're like, he did it. Yep. hundred percent. And then from that, that's what hooked people to really, I want to know what happened. Right. It was which, the husband. What did he do? What, what happened to the, to Shanann and the girls? Right. Do you think that like that, first of all, I have to, I'm going to take a step back in a second. I didn't know any of this stuff that you just said, but for, I think he, he did everything wrong when it comes to like, like he never lawyered up. He never, like, he just started, he was so confident that he could just talk to the media. If they ask you a question, it catches you off guard. It's, it's live. It's not like you can, you know, doctor it. And then I think like, also like to your point of like as much kind of uh, attention that it got, kind of was also the, his demise too, because if it was one of those cases that kind of was like locally, you know, watched or whatever, it wasn't like worldwide and national, like there's a, there was a lot of pressure for the Colorado Bureau of Investigation, the feds, any of the local police to really figure out what happened to these people. So like, mm -hmm. that was like a, a negative effect. He wasn't getting away with it. There's no way he was getting yeah. away with it, but mm -hmm. cause it was so brazen, I think. Um, but that's crazy that I did not know he did that right after. Yeah. Actually, I think his biggest slip up, his biggest mistake in all of this was he, so Shanann Watts, his wife, very uh, active on social media, ton of friends, ton of mm -hmm. people. She was always in touch with everybody, group right. texts, uh, you know, going, waking up, going on Facebook. Hey, everybody, what's going on? So you were always in contact with her and she was really close with her girlfriends. And so her, one of her best friends, you know, within hours, something was wrong, called the police, had them do a wellness check. Again, her friend didn't think her husband murdered her. She just thought oh, she's pregnant. She's got some health issues. She got the, what if she passed out? We need someone to go to the house. You know, she missed her prenatal appointment. She had a, an appointment that morning for the third baby with the OB that she missed. And so 
what Chris Watts really underestimated was how connected she was, how much her friends cared about her mm-hmm. because he didn't have, he didn't really have real friends. And this is something I discovered, you know, again, when I was researching the book and connecting it to psychopathy and narcissism and these things, he didn't really have people that he was close with. Shanann did. So he underestimated the uh, ability of, of loved ones to be like, something's wrong. And right. so he didn't have time to clean up anything or, you know, do what I, I think he was going to try to make it look like she went, ran off with the kids, but he didn't have time because he was at work. So the police were at his house before he got back from work and they get in and they find her cell phone. They find the car is there with the car seats. They find her purse, her medication, her keys, her wallet, like everything that somebody would take with them if they left the house in Colorado, as you know, yes. or you and I are from the DMV. We can walk to Giant, the supermarket. We can mm-hmm. walk to CVS. You can't do that in Colorado. Nah. So I could walk out the door and somebody could say, oh, her car is here, all these things. That's fine. But where she was in Frederick, Colorado, no, there's yep. nowhere, you know, you don't leave. No. So I think that was his biggest, his biggest mistake. And again, I just keep going back to this idea of narcissism that he's going to outsmart everybody and nobody's going to be on to him and he's going to be able to get away with something like this and make up a story that, you know, his wife and kids, I believe that was the story he was going to make up that. Right that she took them out of spite and left and that no one, no one was going to question that. Just like, okay, Kurt's great. Right. You know? Yeah. I think you're right. I think cause like, cause you're right. Like as soon as, I mean, he said, oh, I'll be home in 45 minutes and he showed up like three hours later, probably trying to do something or whatever, but you're right. Like it was kind of like, they were waiting for him when he got there. He had no time to change anything. And then also like how social she was, he was like almost anti-social. So the one thing that stuck out to me was when he went over to the neighbors with the cop and they were watching, excuse me, and they were watching the, the him back up his truck, which he never does. The first thing the neighbor did when they left told the cop was like, sums up because he's not this talkative. He's not this kind of like outgoing, like very talkative person. So it's like he, he didn't like he is as premeditated as it kind of was. Like, I agree with you. I don't think it was like months planning, maybe a couple of weeks, if that, um, because it was very much like quick and it just like yeah. happened. He knew this other woman for, I mean, he had been having an affair with this woman for maybe six weeks, right. seven weeks max. Um, so yeah, he didn't. And I think he said in some of his confessions, he's given multiple confessions where mm-hmm. he's actually admitted to the premeditation. And in my book, I go into the evidence, even without his confession, that it was premeditated. Um, and so, you know, we, we have all this evidence, but definitely it was days or weeks, but I think he said that, um, he at first, and again, we call him the unreliable narrator because Mm. you can't really ever fully believe what he says, but one of his confessions to a woman who actually wrote, um, was visiting him in prison and wrote several books, um, of letters from Christopher, but I think I saw that. Yeah. She had to write another one. I forget what it's called. Um, I, oh, the murders of Christopher Watts. So she had extracted several confessions from him, which I was able to use in my book, um, where he had said he had initially tried to put something in her drink to make her miscarry the baby. Jesus Christ. And when that didn't work, then it was sort of the idea of like, okay, I got it. I, I think the, I don't know if the original plan was to kill the children. Um, it may have been, but I do know that after he failed to get her to miscarry, which was about two to three weeks before the murders was when the plan was really set mm. in motion in his head. Right. Wow. That's crazy. Okay. Well, why there's also another case 
that I've always been fascinated with, which uh, I'll talk about in a little bit with Scott Peterson. Oh um, yeah. That's the original for me. That's the OG family. The OG, yeah. But I, I have a interesting kind of, anyway, I saw a new documentary and it kind of changed my perspective on him. Um, but but to your point, like uh, Chris, go back to Chris Watts is in the family annihilators. That was a term I heard a couple of years ago. I was, it gives me chills every time I even hear it. Cause it's just like a terrifying saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Mark mentioned in the doc that they're extremely rare. And to your mm-hmm. point, most of them kill themselves. Um, I know there was a recent case in Mexico where a guy took his two kids and shot them with a spear gun and said that yeah. his wife had blood of a lizard people because he was QAnon. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, he's from Southern California and ran yeah. a surf school. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and he didn't kill himself and he's in prison. Right. But um, how rare is it? Like, yeah. as far as the family annihilators? I'm not sure in terms of statistics, but I know again, just because we have so little research, there's mm-hmm. like maybe, you know, so few the papers done on it like the, that's what we know about family annihilators is like the themes are they they're kill in august they're males in their 30s and there's you know five or six different motivations that they've pinpointed that may be underlying but yes right. that 80 percent of them kill themselves but I, I think it's rare enough uh, because parents are hardwired to uh the opposite of what chris watts did right and right. so again the op is I'm a parent. So I, you know, there was a part in my book that I explained where he is talking to investigators and he is telling them he knows something's kind of off with him. Like he's not a normal parent in the sense that his attachments to his children aren't really there. He doesn't say that in those words, but he gives a story about um, an, a, a imagining, right? That he was at a grocery store and he loses his children there. I have a bunch of holsters from Bravo and one of them is the inside the waistband holster so this goes inside the waistband if you want to conceal carry also swap it out here outside the waistband so this outside the waistband is actually like hella thin and you can see kind of like how how close to the body it can get you could take this on the range um you, you can probably conceal this and comfortably do it with you know a hoodie over top or whatever if you want to open carry um, it's up to you. They also send out mag pouches, right? So you can throw in an extra mag. You're going to the range. You don't have to unload and reload every single time. You got a little, uh, little hollow point moment. They come in handy if you're on the range, like I said, or if you can still carry and you're one of those people that are got to have a lot of mags or whatever, um, you know, whatever, whatever your cup of tea is. They also send you these really cool pamphlets. They go into great details in these brochures of how to wear things properly, safety mechanisms, and all the features that all of these holsters have as well. So they really focus on educating their customers, which when it comes to guns, safety and education are number one. They don't have any left-handed holsters except for the Glock 19. I'm a lefty, but the right-handed holsters are so dope and they're so comfortable and concealable that I don't really give a shit. Just learn how to shoot with my right hand. And right now they're doing a buy one, get one free, plus free shipping the 30-day money-back guarantee, and a lifetime warranty. On top of that, you, my friends, will get 10% off of any product, of any purchase on their website by using Explicit10. Use the code Explicit10, and you'll get 10% off your entire purchase from bravoconcealment.com. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed, optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time. 
I'm one of the first people to use the lawnmower 4.0 for Manscaped. And let me tell you, the craftsmanship on this goddamn thing is insane. It will chip away at all that down there. Trust me. I'm talking from personal experience. I use the, the lawnmower, get a little, uh, little, little trimmy, trim, trim, and then I follow up with the ball deodorant. Let me tell you, if you like to go on hikes, if you like to just go outside and it's sweaty or it's hot out, Swamp Ass is non-existent. I could not go anywhere without the ball deodorant. I travel everywhere with it. It is a lifesaver, trust me. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and a grooming experience you'll never forget. The fourth generation trimmer also features a ceramic blade to reduce the risk of accidents. And thanks to their advanced skin safe technology, I feel way more comfortable shaving my boys. The upgraded trimmer also includes an on and off switch that can engage a travel lock. It also gives you the ability to turn on and off the 4000K LED light so you can get a more precise shave. The lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to cut through that hedge with more guard lengths with sizes one through four. Oh yeah, hey, did I mention um, wireless charging? That's fucking crazy. The new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which allows the battery to last way longer than it used to. Man, listen up. If you've been using the same nut trimmer on your face, you've been doing it all wrong. I don't know about you, but I don't want to end up with pubes in my mouth. It's time to get your own ball hair and body trimmer with Manscaped and make me time the best time. And trust me, you'll enhance your confidence if you got some nice smooth boys down there. Get 20% off plus for shipping when you use the code EXPLICIT20 at manscaped.com. Trust me, your balls will thank you. He says that a normal parent would panic. And he said, well, I wouldn't panic. I would just walk around calmly and look for them. And so I'm a parent. And every parent I know and every parent that I've talked to, you know, we all say you're at the playground or something and you lose sight of your kid for a second, right. your heart drop. I mean, it's the most terrifying. The panic sets in immediately. It's an instinct. So parents are hardwired to protect their children, not kill them. And so Chris, I think knew, and, or he speculated like something's wrong. I don't want to think something's wrong with me. he also is very much cares what people think. He's very disturbed. Yes. By the fact people think he's a monster he's very much about his image which i also talk about um in my book which is interesting because again i don't think we can pigeonhole people and say like this person's a psychopath family and night or narcissist but right, i right. do see themes of all of those things in him without saying he's one or the other you know but right. um yeah the, the narcissism piece there is narcissists really care what other people think about them and really go to great lengths to um you know present an image to the world and chris watts's image which the title of my book is my daddy is a hero the title of that is that was his image to the world right and his daughter sang that song about him months before he killed her and again it's this really terrifying idea that psychopathic people wear a mask and this is also what i learned in my research and they can put on a really good mask and they learn um, to be, to fit in in the world by mimicking other people. So from a very young age, they may, you know, notice that something is not right with them or they're mm -hmm. different from other people and that they don't have the same kind of feelings and it's, they don't understand, you know, other humans. And so they start to fit in into the world by mimicking them and putting on a mask, which they right. present to the world. And so Chris Watts's mask was he liked being adored. I think that's the narcissistic side of him. He really liked people praising him. 
And a lot of people praised him, you know, and as I said in the documentary, doing my research, you know, I had lots of transcripts of interviews. I heard a lot of interviews. You could not find one a person who had a bad thing to say about him before this incident. It was really remarkable. Because he did such a good job of putting on this like facade of like he's the you know average Joe, very nice family man, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Perfect right. husband, perfect father, all of those things. Right. Like everybody was like, look at him playing with the girls. And Shanann mm-hmm. was constantly praising him. You know, he's the best husband and father and he's hands-on and he does all this stuff. But his heart was never really in it, you know, and when you watch the videos, it's pretty obvious. He's just kind of going along with the motions. You're right. Yeah, it, that makes me feel a little better because we, uh, when we were in D.C., our dog got out and we didn't know. So we went in the backyard and I don't have any children. So I'm like obsessed yeah. with my You dog. can say, yeah, you could. I have so pets, too. So it's yeah, it's 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 very, it was interesting because like as soon as we went outside and he wasn't in the backyard, literally like. I can't even explain the feeling. It was crazy. It was like my heart literally just fell out of my chest. And then I was like instant, both of us instant panic. And then we run the sidewalk and he's like, just trotting down the the sidewalk coming home. I'm like, dude, like in DC, like he would have been gone. Like no question. It Mm -hmm. was just, it is funny you say that because when you watch these videos, even in the documentary, and there's been a couple of good docs. Um, there's one on Netflix that's really good um, about the Watt story. But you're right; he's not. He's just like, like he's no emotion. No, he just not, doesn't doesn't really have that connection uh, with his family, like like Shanann did. Like I mean, like you said, she was posting about it every single day. Um, and you know that goes into the social media piece that we'll talk about in a minute because I think that played a big part. Um, uh, in a lot of this, just because of like the, the front that, you know, like everyone, everyone, Instagram is like, Oh, I'm, I'm a baller. I'm living this great life. And they're probably like depressed or like, you know, a lot going on, if that makes sense. But do you think toxic masculinity had anything to do with this? Toxic masculinity in the sense of him having to not, well, you know, I do talk about that in my book, actually, I don't use the term But I do think what there was something that had to do with it, that boys, men culturally are, you know, told not to talk about their feelings. Yes. Um, You know, I quoted a scholar who said, you know, what's acceptable for men to express as feelings is usually like sexual attraction or rage. You know what I mean? Those things are acceptable, but vulnerability, no. And so I think one of the factors and one of the things that I do in relationship therapy, yes, is, you know, boys and men are very sensitive. They have a deep, deep feelings, you know, they're not shut off from that. And it's really sad how we cut them off from that. And I don't think Chris Watts was given the tools. I mean, again, I don't know if this would have, you know, prevented yeah, no anything, <laughs> but he had no way to deal with his problems or to even understand what was going on within him. Right. You know, he had no self-awareness or no, um, And so again, like, let's say that we did have therapy or mental health uh, more accessible to people or less stigma. And like, he was able to go and he was able to confide in a therapist. I have daydreams about killing my wife, which by the way, that was, if you Google that, he was saying he used to have daydreams about killing Shanann. Whoa. um, That was in in another Sherilyn Cadle who wrote, who was the one who actually met him. Jesus. He had um, said that to her. And that she'd, you know, be mad at him and she'd be yelling at him. He would just stand there staring at her, thinking about how he wanted to kill her, you know, and things like that. And so I do wonder, you know, sometimes say he had been able to find somebody he could share his feelings with and somebody, you know, because some of the interventions for psychopaths are teaching them 
different solutions, pro, right. pro solutions and trying to, you know, expand on their empathy. And so I don't know if it's always successful, but, you know, that is something to look at for sure is, you know, how are people dealing with their problems and keeping them inside is not good for anybody because then it, again, creates the perfect storm of where it erupts. And basically what he was doing at that point was blaming Shanann for mm. all his problems and for being the one to stop him from going on with the new life, you know? And so that built up a rage in him against her instead of him being like, well, let me you know, step back and objectively yeah, self-reflect. look at this. But instead it was just this volcano of suppressed emotion and everything that just was you know, simmering until it exploded, really. That's the right. image I have. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I think, and, and that kind of leads me to my next question is as far as like, could this have been prevented? And those are pieces where like, if he was talking to someone, if he had, if he was able to unleash these feelings in a kind of a, in a, in a safe split uh, space. Um, and then you also have the other side of things where Shanann is like, so on social media that like, he's probably in the back of his head too. Like, oh, well, if we do split up or get a divorce, if he even thought about that, like he, she's going to smear it. Like there's just, who knows what he was thinking, but like that also goes into the, the social media part, but you know, could this have been prevented? Do you think? I mean, I, I don't think, well, there's a couple angles here, right? Like, I don't right. think there's any possible way Shanann could have known right. what he was, what, who he really was. Capable I, of, I really yeah. believe that she was happy and content in her marriage and believe she had really married a great guy up until she went away for the last six weeks or last few weeks of her life. And then right. she was back in Colorado for a very small amount of time before the murders. But I don't believe there's any way she could have known. And that's, I think, what, again, what's terrifying, especially for women who watch this case is there's really, I mean, there's really nothing that indicated that he would ever have done anything like this. I mean, it was shocking, so shocking to anybody who knew him, but, you know, we have the footage of the last you know, hours of her life, the last footage we have of her is her coming home from that trip and walking into this dark house. If you go by one of his confessions, I think he's already admitted to trying to smother them, but it didn't, he didn't succeed the first time, which again, so then, you know, one of his confessions, he's that he's, he got away with killing them the second time he tried, but she's walking into the, the house point being completely unaware of what is about to happen. I mean, she's having a normal text conversation with him from the airport about what do you want for dinner tomorrow? And he's like green beans, you know? So she's thinking she's going to wow. come home. They have this weekend planned in Aspen. She's thinking, oh, cause he's, I think once he realized he was going to go through with his plan, he was kind of playing along with her and he's like, oh yeah, yeah. I'll go to Aspen with you, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. Um, he was out with his girlfriend the night before he killed her and he charged you know, uh, expensive meal on the credit card. Yep. And she, she was suspicious then. And he just didn't care. You know, he was like, I'm not going to deal with her anymore. So right. he had already made up, you know, his mind that this was going to happen. And so he was just sort of playing along and whatever, but she had no idea. I do want to address that some people, um, and in my book, I, I say, it's so important that we keep the blame completely on Chris Watts for this that he made all these decisions. And no matter what happened, yes, there were other factors that happened at the end of the day, he decided to do, nobody made him do this, right? right. So people always want to blame, especially the women in this case, they want to blame Shanann, for example, they want to say, oh, she pushed him to do this by being controlling. No, nobody, that doesn't happen. You know, can you imagine how many murdered 
spouses we would have <laughs> if that was a, a, a you know just no. get a divorce it's like really yeah not, right right yeah. no 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 that's not there's no way you know no matter what the situation you're right there the other one it was a the one the other woman the woman he had an affair with if she hadn't come into the picture okay maybe that's maybe that's true maybe but who's to say that down the line he wouldn't have met somebody else and even right. so yes was she at fault for having an affair with a married man completely did uh, we have no evidence that she influenced him or manipulated him? You know, I hear that from some people. Oh, she manipulated him. Right. I said, again, I don't care how much, you know, was going on there. She did not make the decision to put her hands on those children and, and strangle. Him, right. Or we, we just don't have any evidence, at least, right. you know, that she, some people I know really believe she was involved. And that's, that's fine. what I've I heard too. Yeah. I understand how people could think that. Um, but again, if we're going very like, by law, by what we know, and by like the procedures that we have in this country for, you know, convicting people, thank God that we're not, we don't go on speculation. Right. You know, yeah. Oh God. my God. Are you kidding again, me? That would be really bad. Right. right. It's very, um, and so yeah, evidence wise, you know, that's what we have. So, you know, or some people actually want to blame her as a mother. How did she raise him? And, you know, I don't want to put the blame on her either. Again, it's like, this is what he chose. Could it have been prevented if things had gone differently? You could also say, had she not gone to North Carolina for those six weeks, he never would have had the opportunity. You know, so there's so many things that have happened, but we can't go back. You know, it's just um, impossible. But I think from her part, there's her, nobody could have stopped this because he kept it all so internal and he True. had such a good mask. And that is the most terrifying thing about this case. Yeah, I agree with you. The fact that like you could, I mean, in hindsight, even in hindsight, like knowing all the evidence and to your point, like I've seen him do multiple confessions and it's like, you're right. Like, it's just like when, you know, like a Ted Bundy or these people, like they, they, they love talking about stuff. And uh, I know I interviewed Dave Reichert, who is the, the King County Sheriff who caught the Green River killer at Gary mm -hmm. Ridgeway. Mm -hmm. He, he told me he actually went to Florida, interviewed Ted Bundy because he was in King County too. So he dealt with Ted Bundy and <laughs> two of the most prolific serial killers. He told me that when he went to interview Ted Bundy, because they were trying to figure out like, Hey, why do serial killers do this stuff? He was interviewing Ted Bundy and Ted Bundy the entire time, he said, was telling them, oh, no, you're you're Green River Killers, not this, not that. He's more like this. He's more like that. And then when they sat back and were like, wait a minute, he's just describing himself as this potential killer versus like what the evidence show. Everything that they had on evidence was like not pointing in any direction that Ted Bundy was going. And it just go, went to the fact of like he just was bullshitting because he liked to talk to people and like to kind of like just talk about those things. And I get that vibe from Chris Watts too, because he's very inconsistent. Um, I get in the beginning when you get interrogated, he wanted to lie. And then he kind of came clean a little bit to his dad and lied about that. And then four months after he gets convicted, he's telling people that the whole story of really what happened. And then he changes that. And it's just like, what can you believe from these kind of people? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's the thing. And that's back to the unreliable narrator right. is I think, I mean, some of his details are just too, too detailed to, I think, I believe a lot of his story, but you can't believe everything. And he also has changed his story multiple times. Mm -hmm. So who knows the real, I mean, they're variations of the same thing, but who knows what the real, what really happened, right. you know, because he's like that. And now he's gone through a supposed religious conversion. And so he's, now he's this, you know, man of God who, 
is think is using that to think, oh, maybe I can get out and I'm going to do all this good and you'll see, you know. Um, but again, that's the narcissism piece coming out as he thinks yeah. he's going to tell people I'm good now and I'm, you know. Look at me. I'm in. I, yeah, uh, I'm saved. Yeah, um, I pray. Put me back out into the world. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that his case particularly is the narcissism is very obvious and yeah. is extremely high because I, like to my my like when I see and I know he's not a serial killer, but like when you see people like do stuff like that, they're kind of like like, uh, you know, Gacy, um, uh, BTK. Some of these people are just they're not like narcissists like that. They're not putting themselves out there. They're not in a way they do at certain points. But Chris was so confident in his press conferences. I mean, he didn't even get a lawyer. I, I was just blown away. Yeah, like everything. And it, it's it's kind yeah. of like Scott Peterson, too, is very much like in the media trying to find them help. I'm here to help, blah, 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 blah. And it was like doing so much damage. Do you think, do you see that a lot in the family annihilators where like they're so high or is his case like very unique? I think um, murderers in general, like serial killers that you talked about, I think the narcissism is so high right. in almost all of them because also narcissism is very similar to psychopathy in the sense that um, there's a Harvard psychologist who, who uh, describes narcissism as a triple E, which stands for exploitation, entitlement, and lack of empathy. And so I think you can apply those characteristics True. to all people who do things to harm others, right. you know, is that they don't have the empathy. Um, but the other piece of the narcissism, again, is that like, the, um, and I think what throws people off about Chris Watts was he wasn't grandiose. He wasn't, right. you know, before this anyway, he kind of is now actually from prison, but um, the way he was before is very quiet. Everybody's like, he's like a wall of stone. Nobody really, he's hard to read, but very quiet and calm and, and even keel and laid back. And so people don't understand that narcissism doesn't have to be grandiose. It doesn't have to be, look at me, me, me. It can actually be shy. It can be quiet. It can be what we have. I talk about in the book, uh, it's called communal narcissism, which is, uh, we call them the do-gooder narcissist. So the way they get attention is by doing good deeds. And so those people could be heading nonprofits. They could be church wow. leaders. They could be the church, the nice church lady baking or the PTA president, or even somebody who's not super grandiose, but the way they get attention or what we call narcissistic supply is the, the attention that they get, the adoration. It comes from being good and trustworthy wow. and doing good. And um, there's also something called covert or vulnerable narcissism, which is, you know, that could be, again, the neighbor next door who's very unassuming, you know, um, but has these sort of deep fantasies about being known and admired. And, um, and, but they also feel that they're very special and the narcissistic rage can come from, well, when they're not recognized as being special. But Chris Watts, I think, is definitely grandiose now, which is interesting. Again, the sort of like evolution we've seen from him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was very much like quiet, like not not really. And then even as once he started getting interviews, he was like, even the North Carolina shirt interview, he was very like not quiet he was very outspoken um it was weird but it's funny you say like all those things you just listed were literally like all the serial killers i keep referencing like btk was a church leader very great in the community mm -hmm. john Wayne gacy very yep. looked at highly the clown right yeah the clown. clown at kids yep. parties yeah yep. yep and then uh, you know, mm -hmm. ted bunny's like the grandiose type but uh yeah no gary Ridge, ridgeway very socially awkward not really mm -hmm. out there it's crazy you're it's 
Yeah. So you could be a narcissist and not be this, you know, savvy, but they all have some charm to them in their own way. It can be a quirky charm, you know? Right. right. So I think people just think of narcissism, they think of this one type, but just remembering that it can look very different. That's great insight. Cause I I literally thought it was like that. That's I always think it's just Ted Bundy, like, Oh, complete narcissist. And it's, you're right. That's, that's great. That's another reason I wanted to write the book is I really wanted to explain this to people. Right you know, as a way for them, for their own knowledge. And I think the, the best reward from my book by far, and I'm still, it's really, it really touches me as I get, you know, emails from people all over the world saying, thank you for writing that book. You know, you, um, I left somebody because of it, or, you know, like it really reinforced for me that I can't get in touch with my narcissistic ex or, um, just really touching things that I, you know, I cry every time I read them, but it's just really, the best, the best thing that came from the book was, you know, getting those emails and right. uh, hearing from those people. So yeah. I really felt like, okay, that's what I set out to do. I was, I didn't set out to, you know, make money. I actually right. had to self-publish this and I put a ton of my own money up front yep. with no expectation of getting it back. So um, it it's was very really expensive a passion. to put a book out. <laughs> oh my, well, especially if you do it right. You know, yeah. anyone can put a book out, but I hired, you know, expensive. I had I hired an attorney because, right. you know, I'm talking about real people. So yep, it was yep. a huge expense. And it was a risk, but it was a, a came from the heart. Is like I really wanted people to get an education from it, and I really wanted to stick up for Shanann, um, right. and like have be the voice as a mental health professional, you right. know, advocating for her. So that's amazing. And, and to your point, you're exactly right. There's thousands of women out there that are men too that are in relationships mm-hmm. that are like this. They don't even realize because to your point, they don't even yeah. know what to look for. So yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Um, what what role uh, do you think social media plays? And this is kind of, we can segue into uh, your, your new book and stuff like that. But what what role do you think social media played in the case entirely from Shanann posting a lot to it getting worldwide national attention and kind of putting a magnifying glass on, on you know, Frederick, Colorado of being like, we got to figure this out and quick. Yeah. In terms of the motive, I actually think social media had very little to do with it. I think it was part of the resentment he may have had. Hmm. Um, but only after he met the new woman. Like, I think he was just sort of, I'm just going to go along with it. And he may have felt a certain way about it, but I think, you know, once he'd met the new woman, and again, that's when he really villainized Shanann and kind of, you know, made the new woman the, can do no wrong and Shanann the total villain. You know, I think he was like, I'm not, he deactivated his Facebook um, around that time. It was sort of like his way of saying, you know, I'm not going to be part of this. Like I'm, I'm moving on. Um, but I don't think that that, I think the main motivating factor for Chris Watts was again, the affair and wanting to start a new life with the underlying issues of psych- psychopathy and narcissism and, um, right. no empathy and attachment, you know, right. cause again, you don't do that unless those things yeah, are present it's... because he, we have absence of real mental illness. He hasn't had a psychological evaluation, but I've worked with people who have, uh, I, I had an internship once I worked with someone who had, who had murdered multiple people and he was in, you know, clinically insane yeah. and he was high on drugs when he did it. And it was, you know, he was not in jail. He was actually in an institution. Jesus. So there we had, you know, the Chris Watts's behavior after the fact was not, you know, showing any signs of, you know, hallucination, delusion, schizophrenia, anything that, you know, where he would be out of his mind and he couldn't even use it as a defense. So I, you know, I reject that completely. Right. But um, anyway, back, back to what you were saying. 
the social media. So social media. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I don't think that was, but I do think social media played the role of captivating everybody. And I Definitely. think it's one of the reasons why this case got so much traction is because Shanann's life was so accessible and public for people. They were able to watch so much footage, get a glimpse into this world of this life that I do believe again, that up until Chris lost interest, mm-hmm. I believe Shanann was very happy with her life, you know? And so yeah. I don't think that was an act. Um, I do, you know, obviously she was in sales. So there's certain types of uh, content. I think people have to put out there right. that she was doing, but I think people felt very um, invited into their world and felt like they knew them and felt, and some, some people felt very attached to her and the girls. Some people felt very judgmental, you know, people either felt that they could completely judge and dissect or felt very close to her and felt very emotionally attached and, you know, following the journey. So I think um, it was the first case. And then I think recently the Gabby Petito case kind of mirrored that a little bit, not as much because I don't, we didn't have as much um, video footage from her, but you, you could, I mean, it was easy for me to write a book on this case because just the amount of material, like I could write real dialogue of so, you know, so many things that happened, not just because of the videos and posts that she had, but because the body cams were public, like the interviews were public. So it's the first case I think where we really got this really intimate look into um, their lives as people. Whereas, you know, we look back at Scott Peterson, which you said, it was like the first case like this, that really made me think, Oh, you know, what happened here? Right. We didn't have that. So it's, it was, I don't think we could become as attached. I mean, obviously the pregnant mother and the baby being murdered on Christmas Eve, that's all very, again, sensational and like, gets at our heartstrings but it's just not the same as this person who was so public who we could really again either people could dissect they could judge or they could attach to right yeah i know you're right it's i mean it just look at the documentaries that they make about it they the only thing that these companies have to do is film interviews because all Mm -hmm. the other footage is Mm -hmm. public domain it's off her facebook it's off Mm -hmm. its body cams and stuff um Mm -hmm. now uh, segue real quick to to uh scott peterson because when i i grew up watching it on the news i mean they crucified him basically from day one um Mm -hmm. and he did everything and i asked an fbi agent this uh johnny grusing who's like here in denver and we talked about the petito when we talked about um peterson talked to another psychologist who does like uh who she focuses on elizabeth loftus she's like testified Mm -hmm. for like michael jackson like high people that like have like recess memory she was Mm -hmm. the one that testified in the the recess memory murder case that got Mm -hmm. anyway so when when scott peterson when that happened the media sensationalized the whole thing right he was guilty before he stepped foot in a courtroom Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. everyone he did it he did it no question yeah it's, it's like the movie Gone Girl. It's very similar to that, where it's like yeah. Ben Affleck. I think, yeah. 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 It's, I said it's based off of it before, because the author has said like the media yeah. portrayal of it is, is influenced yes. it, but it's yes, not completely sure. based off of it. So I, I 100% were certain he did it from all the facts that were given to me from the media when I was younger. And then I watched a documentary last year on Hulu. Mm-hmm. Granted, documentaries are always kind of one way or the other. Um, mm-hmm it very much shed light, new light on my idea of him actually doing it. Because one thing is he's never admitted to it ever. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that I always thought was interesting. Like Chris Watts is like, okay, 
I did it. It's like four months yeah. later. He's like, he's the guy. Every one of these, they know they did it. They admit it. His mm-hmm. case, he's never once admitted that he did this. And then there's other evidence that, uh, you know, really didn't get a lot of media attention that showed like, like, let me ask you this. And you might even know the answer already, but the member when he was heading down to Mexico and he dyed his hair and he had all that cash on him. Mm-hmm. Do you know why? Uh, you know, I, that's case. I haven't thought about it in so long. So no, I actually right. don't. Yeah. So, but in the media, when, it, when that, when that came out, it was, he's fleeing to Mexico. He's got a yeah. large amount of money and he changed his hair. Yeah. That's what the, one would assume. Yeah. Right. This documentary went into detail of how all of that was not true. He wasn't going to Mexico. He was going to San Diego to a golf tournament with his brother and his father. Mm-hmm. His mother had asked him to take out uh, an ex, like it's like twelve or fifteen thousand dollars or something mm-hmm. like that from uh, the bank account because they were doing something with the house. It wasn't like money he was about. He it wasn't even for him. And then mm-hmm. the dying of the hair was because he's Scott Peterson. Everybody wanted to kill him, uh, mm-hmm. and he he couldn't live a normal life. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wow, that actually like makes that makes sense to me. Uh, not so much like, it's just more sexy for it to be like him fleeing to Mexico. <laughs> uh, oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then that's why they arrested him. But, mm-hmm. uh, but stuff like that, you know, the boat of like, you know, the, the defense attorney was literally like in the boat throwing over the amount of weight that Lacey and the baby were and and the boat was capsizing every time, not once did it mm-hmm. stay. And he's like, this would be like impossible for him to do by himself. And mm-hmm. then obviously the string of robberies and attacks that were in their neighborhood all within that week that that this happened but anyway yeah my point is i was the the media made me think a certain way and i get a lot of flack when i talk about it because i i personally don't think he did it Mm. i Mm. personally that's my personal opinion um a lot of people i know share that opinion right and Mm -hmm. and a lot of it i think is like my main thing is like you've been in prison now for over 20 years like Mm -hmm why wouldn't you just, you, you avoided the death penalty. You just had another hearing. Mm-hmm. His sentence might get reduced. Why, why would he not just admit it? Yeah. I mean, I obviously like, I'm not God. Right. I always say that. I'm like, I, I can't say, yeah, he did it. Or yeah, he didn't do it right. for sure either way. Um, so But I do, I do think from what I know, like, again, I can see somebody high on the narcissism spectrum going to their grave, not admitting, like, you know what I mean? Standing by their regular, I mean, people do this too, right? Is like, I'm not going to admit to something I know that I did, Okay. or I'm going to stick to this narrative, right? you know, again, because my image is this, right? Like, and I care about what people think. So I could see just being devil's advocate too. Like I could see also somebody or believing like Chris Watts. I don't even know what's going on. He's not very smart, right? right, right. Scott Peterson, I always thought was much smarter than Chris Watts. Yeah. Um, Chris, you know, I think his shtick is like, oh, I'll, you know, I'll plead guilty and I'll escape the death penalty. And the, everything was stacked against Chris though, mm-hmm. again, because he didn't have time to clean up. Right. The way he said, it, originally he said Shanann killed the girls and choked them, but mm-hmm. the autopsy revealed smothering. Like he just, there was just too many, you know, discrepancies. Right, right. So he was kind of backed into a corner. Scott can still keep up the, you know, with, because he's had many um, retrials, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think he can still hold on to the hope that he can be proven innocent. I, again, maybe he is, I don't know. Right. Um, but I can see, you know, him sticking to that 
narrative because if he admits he did it then it really is all over you know what i mean true true like this light at the end of the tunnel he's like, been okay. on death row yeah yeah and now he's off and he got off of it right exactly exactly so i mean there's motive and incentive to stick to that story i guess right. is what i'm saying yeah that makes sense that's a, that's a great point the um mm-hmm. uh because the in the correlation to the gabby petito thing is a lot of people were like uh what's his brand what's his, what was his name uh brian laundry brian La- yeah mm-hmm. he he basically uh because like Scott Peterson didn't lawyer up. He was in the media every day. He was trying to finally, he put, he involved himself, which a lot of people say like killers will do that. They'll involve themselves in the case. But then like everyone was like, well, where's Brian? Like, why isn't he doing this? It's like, well, they lawyered up. He went away. Granted, it mm-hmm. was like a fugazi, like he ended up killing himself or whatever happened, yeah, happened. Right. But like, that's really what you would do is you should go get a lawyer. If, if you really mm-hmm. are innocent, even if you are guilty, like yeah. go do those things. And it's, it mm-hmm. is sketchier. It is more like, Hey, why are you doing mm-hmm. all these things? If you're not guilty, but you look at a case like Scott Peterson, uh, you know, it's like, well, I didn't do well, not, not him, but like the movie gone girl, for example, like yeah. Ben Affleck didn't do those things. He just mm-hmm. was guilty of having an affair, but the media made it like, yes. well, if you don't do these things, then you're guilty. But then if you go right. get a lawyer, you're also guilty. It's right. like a lose-lose. Right. And any defense attorney, my best friend is one. So any defense attorney will advise their client not to speak at whatever right. cause. You know what I mean? That's the advice that's given by right. the defense. That's what they go to law school and think. Exactly. There's like a, rule number yeah, one. There's a procedure, right? Yeah. <laughs> and again. Even when she was watching that case, I mean, she eventually believed Brian was totally guilty, but, yes. um, but she was like, yeah, I mean, that's what you do. Right. And that's his right, <laughs> you know, to lawyer up and then to not speak. And is it frustrating for, again, my God, the poor family, yes. Yes, you know, and everybody, especially the family who's just wanting answers, especially before she was found. I mean, the, the pain and the agony they must have gone through, you know? Yep. Um, but yeah, that is, you know, that is the procedure. Um, Right. Is that when that happens, if you're a suspect, you get a lawyer to protect you and, you know, and then hopefully if our process goes as the way it's supposed to, the truth will prevail and a jury and a judge will make the right decision. And we'll have, again, going back to your podcast with Mark, I think we've come so far with our criminal detection yes. skills, you know, because of maybe social media actually yeah, yeah. exposes stuff now too, you know, they catch criminals with social media, you know patterns and seeing what they're doing and um you know they have that you have dna you have technology if you're saying you take digital photos now you know before as you just have the regular camera with film so i think we've just come so far that you know it's um it's almost impossible to evade detection now and people try and again that's i think brian laundry um i can't again say for sure but uh, what i saw from his behavior after he killed her i think he would not have killed himself if he thought he could get away with it. So I think, again, it was similar to the Chris Watts case where he mm-hmm. was backed into the corner. I mean, she's gone. Nobody has, you were the last person to see her, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, they're going to find her body. They're they going to find again, it. They thanks did. to social media, they found yep. her body because it was some travel bloggers that spotted the van yep. in the location where they ended up finding the body. So yep. again, it's going back to social media. Yeah, no, it's definitely like like Mark was saying in the previous podcast. It's like they've come such a long way and talking to these detectives that have worked on these big cases like Bundy and stuff, the amount of work that they had to do and foresight that they had to have of like, oh, let me keep this rope that just was strangled this woman because maybe in 30 years we'll be able to have DNA and then that's how they catch Gary Ridgeway and that's how they catch Ted, that's how they catch all these people and can put it together. But you're right, like social media is 
is such a big thing. So let's talk about your new book, social media. Yeah. Uh, and it's called The Facebook Narcissist, which I love that title because uh, social media really gives, I think, people a, my personal experience, I, I'm guilty of this sometimes too, where I want to put mm-hmm. in sometimes like a, a little facade, a little bit of like what's going on. And maybe it's not really 100% really what's happening right yeah. I think everyone is guilty of this but can yeah. you talk about that a little bit yeah I mean part of my interest in writing the book and I wish I could say I came up with the title I didn't that was actually my literary agent's title and um, also the idea for the book was was hers I wanted to write about narcissism generally kind of being the downfall of everything right um, and one of my chapters was about social media and she's like but what if it was an entire book about it so anyway that's how the um, concept came so shout out to my agent Linda who uh, came up with the the Facebook narcissist. Um, Yeah, I mean, I noticed that my own evolution with social media, you know, was that I also am guilty of the things, you know, that, and I I had introspection of like, wait, why did I post that? You know, what was that really for? Who is that for? And so I think it's very seductive, you know, and it's, Mm -hmm. uh, this book is not to shame people at all. It's also sort of like asking people to look at their own, not just you know, what how other people's posting is impacting them, but like what are what are they trying to accomplish, you know? And not in a judgmental way, but it's like often we're seeking validation and we're not aware of it, and so we're just posting, and then we're sort of getting this shallow validation from it. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, there's also just so many things about um, privacy now being so connected, and um, one of my chapters is on relationship ruptures because now we're seeing in real time relationships being destroyed due to social media. And so I have, you know, a case in my book because I interviewed a lot of people. Most are off the record, but then I have some narcissism experts in it and stuff. But the stories I hear from people is like they've changed how they viewed other people and their family and their friendships because of how they've acted on social media or what they've posted. And so it's been really, um, it's really depressing if you think about it. Um, And so I had found too, when I'm not on social media, when I don't have, you know, I used to have like 700 friends on Facebook. I don't have a Facebook. Um, I have a friend who runs an author page for me, Mm -hmm. but like, I'm not on a personal Facebook level. I'm like 700 friends. Why do 700 friends need to see my baby? You know, they don't care. My my parents care about my kid, you know, maybe some really close friends, but it was like, I'm sharing this with 700 people who don't really care about me. Um, And also I'm seeing things from people and it is changing my perception of them a bit. Um, I'm getting annoyed by some of it. And I was like, you know what? I like people better when I don't have their social media profiles or I like people better when I'm not on the neighborhood listserv, you know, even like you're on a listserv and it's like, oh my gosh. And also just being bombarded with people's, you know, opinions all the time. And and so sort of like, what is this? And and now everybody also thinking, because I have this platform, I can say whatever I want, right? You know, or I can be a star, you know, and again, the the problematic, I see some problematic stuff with like influencer culture or the wellness industry or these, you know, some of the multi-level marketing things and exploitation of vulnerable people, you know, Um, or also kids, you know, one of the, the, the research I had from my new book is that they interviewed um, parents of these kids in the UK. I think they're between ages of like seven and 13. And they're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I think over half said YouTuber or social media influencer. And those are two different categories. And then third was like either doctor or veterinarian or something like that. And so that's fine. You know, like, but I'm not there again, there's no necessarily judgment about that, but it's also, um, 
we have this unrealistic view that like life is supposed to be like the Kardashians or it's like keeping up with the Joneses or that like that's going to make you happy and fulfilled. And it's really just like becoming more and more about vanity. And we're even seeing like people's values are changing. You know, um, one of the women I interviewed for my book talked about these diaries of girls throughout the years. And like, you know, the diaries now are like about Botox or fillers or like how they look. Whereas before there was more of an emphasis on values and being a good person. So it's also like, what is this oversaturation of filtering and posturing and putting performative stuff? Um, not, does it, not only does it make people feel bad or compare themselves to others, but it's like, it's taking us away from what really matters, I think. Yeah. which is the opposite of narcissism, which is like connection and attachment and empathy. Right. No, and not I, this, like, look at me, 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 you know? Right. You're like, there's a lot to unpack what you said, because yeah. like, that's, I feel like everybody listening or watching has definitely experienced this, whether it's them themselves or like you said, like there's people that I've grown up with that I always looked up my whole life to. And now I see them. I'm like, Oh, that's really how you feel. Like, I don't align whether I align with it or not. I just kind of like, I'm always snoozing people on Facebook. I have over 2000 friends. I kind of have to be plugged in because I'm like, I do marketing, yeah. like I said, right. and I have to kind of understand the algorithm and understand that kind of stuff. Um, but it's very frustrating. It's very exhausting. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's annoying too, to your point too. Cause like, it's like, the, there's so much, there's so many opinions and a lot of people now are getting their news and facts from these right. platforms yeah you can say anything and they yeah. can say anything and that and facebook mm-hmm. and these algorithms know this so they put things i've tested this yeah. for myself where if i like i like a certain thing i'll start mm-hmm. seeing that state those kind of content mm-hmm. around me and they feed off anger and stuff like that and yeah. um it's i know you saw it right the social dilemma the documentary mm-hmm. so anybody you should go watch it if you're listening or watching a social dilemma on netflix and it's it's amazing because at the end they have like this really cool they're rolling the credits and they're interviewing i mean i'm talking like people like high ups on facebook people that like invented the like button invented like big mm-hmm. big pieces of uh social media we use today and they ask them like are you gonna let your kids have a phone or use social media every single person who literally invented this shit said my kids yeah. are not gonna have social media they're not gonna mm-hmm. have until they're 18 years old they could do what they yeah. want which right. is like to your point of like you're not bashing anyone or judging anyone, but at least be aware of what's mm-hmm. going on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I also look at the book as like, this is not for me again, to be God or, you know, preach or to you know, tell people what to do. And, um, and I'm not telling people to get rid right. of social media. I'm just like, here's information that I'm presenting and do You know, everybody's an adult do, do with that information, what you will, but informed, you know, and thinking about things in a different way, you know, and like, again, maybe that empty feeling you have from social media can be replaced with something else. So it's, you know, I just want people to think a bit deeper um, and, and again, be a little bit more aware of like, there is some real damage being done because again, of, of narcissism and social media and vanity and, and self-absorption and all of these things that are happening. And, you know, we're seeing it happen in real time. I mean, yeah. we're seeing a real mental health crisis in adolescent girls. This has been all documented, you know, because of social media. Um, right before I um, finished the first draft of my book, Norway had just passed a law saying now that influencers in Norway have to label their photos when they filter or alter any physical image of themselves, and it's punishable as a felony. What? So I thought that because the mental health crisis is so, is you know, 
becoming so big there that they want people to be real and be like, no, this was a filtered picture. I mean, at first it's like a fine that you could be slapped with, right. but like, I think there's more, there's a more progression. Wow. So uh, people are really starting to see um, that it can be really, really destructive. And, wow. Uh, well, it can be. And that's true yeah. because it's, yeah. you know, it, it's, it, it does things and it makes people, I mean, like, like shaming certain body types, shaming certain things. And there's such like a mixture of like ways to think about it, but you know, the, that's crazy that Norway, I, I like that idea because you, mm-hmm. you look at, I think I'll, there's also like an aspect of it. It's very rare, but like kind of like getting like fooled a little bit, like as a man, when you see a woman on social media and then you meet them, it's mm-hmm. like not really always what you see, which mm-hmm. sometimes men get like angry with that. And they, you know, yeah. you could put yourself in harm, you know oh, what I yeah. mean? Yeah. So. And again, it's all image. And, you know, one of the things I, uh, I write about and also just to make people feel better and normalize it for them, most of it's not real. And what was really interesting for me when I was a presence on Facebook and I had all those friends, people knew I was a therapist. And so behind the scenes, you know, people would message me and uh, they all, people are always asking me, Hey, can you recommend couples therapists? This right. What was so fascinating to me was that the people that were always asking me for the recommendations were the ones who posted the most about how great their significant other was. Wow. hundred percent of the time. That's crazy. And I, yeah. And so there is this piece again of like, um, I, you know, there's, I think different motivations for that, but one of that is like, Hey, I can present something the way I wish it could be. Right. But what's happening is people are looking at that and starting to feel really bad. You know, they think everything is so great. And also now people have professional photographers, you know, yeah. average people, we all have, prof- you know, professional photographers and everyone looks like the perfect family and the perfect couple on the beach with the engagement photos. Yep. Yep. And everybody just has to realize everybody has struggles mm-hmm. and every, and no, social media is not the reality, even for some of these celebrities. And that's not what we should be striving for is, you know, to be like other people as sort of just what, what do we want for our own happiness and fulfillment? Like regardless of what everyone else is doing. And the studies all show that happiness and fulfillment is from the quality of our relationships, not the quantity. And so it's like fostering in-person relationships is the most beneficial thing we can do. And again, that's not saying, Hey, deactivate your social media. And as you said, Corey, it's a necessary evil for so many of us. I hate it. I would be off all of it if I could. Same. (laughs) But I have, you know, I have a couple of professional pages that are, are active and that, you know, like my publisher would wants me to have, yeah, you know, you have a business. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's even, it's unbelievable. I even got a book deal because like, I refuse to try, I don't want to grow my platforms. And so they're like, oh, you only have, you know, like yeah. I said, one of my friends, bless her heart, she's a marketing specialist. She doesn't do much, but she runs my Facebook page. So I don't have to get, you know, right. messages from trolls or whoever. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just don't want that, you know? Yep. So yep. I have a barrier between myself and that, but it is, if you have a business, if you have anything and people want to connect, we live in this global world now where we're, you know, our loved, most of my best friends don't live in DC. They're right. all over. Right. And so what's the easiest way to connect or sh- you want to share your, you know, your pet or your kid yeah, or literally yeah, or your, your, your fun vacation. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know, with, again, so I'm also asking, well, how can people curate their social media feeds? And that's one of the things that I had to, to do was like, well, 700 people don't need to see this, but maybe 15 do. And maybe right. there's a way, you know, there's a small group of people I can share that with. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. That's, that's what I deal with too. I was like, when, when we, 
when we go on vacation, vacation, it's just like, okay, we're going to go to a veil or we're going to get the cabin in the woods for a week. And it's like, just disconnect because honestly, the mental health part of that is so true when you're just not bombarded with things and your mind can just kind of like focus on that quality. I love what you said, quality over quantity when it comes to relationships. That's mm-hmm. so true. Yeah. And there is research behind that too. Right. It's really like most people don't even have a lot of good friends and that's okay. But if you have like, you know, two or three really quality people in your life mm-hmm. who you can go to when, you know, the chips are down and nothing's right in the world, like that's what matters at the end of the day. And that's also, I back that up working in end of life, palliative care, oncology, Right. nobody at the end of the day, when you reflect back on your life, when you know you're dying, like all that matters is the people that were with you. 100%. And people's regrets are like, oh, I didn't, I didn't apologize to that person. Right. They get a little emotional, you know, even talking about that. But it's like those are the things that really, really matter when it's all said right. and done. It's true. It, it, you look Realness. at it like, like the, and also like our news cycle. And I mean, like, like, what, like, look what happens when someone does die, or there's just a mass shooting, or there's something crazy or tragic. It's okay. You've hearted it. You've shared it. Maybe you've commented. And then 24 hours later, it's on to the next. If you don't think people aren't doing that to stuff that you're posting, you're, I think you're mistaken. Not you mm-hmm. people in general. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. So yeah, that's it. Crazy. So that's, well, that's a little bit of a summary. Of yeah. That's a summary, summary of the book. It comes out yeah. in May, right? May 31st. Yes. And available for pre-order everywhere books are sold. So awesome. if anybody would like to pre-order. So since you're, you're on social media, we're barely on social media. You're on social media enough. Where can people find you, Lena? Yeah, um, there's, um, yeah, not super active, but like I'll, po- you know, I'll, on Instagram, you know, I'll post this interview and stuff like that. So that Instagram is therapy with Lena and Facebook is just uh, my author page, Lena Durhali. And I think that's really, that's it. Um, that's I think I I'm on LinkedIn, you. LinkedIn, you, LinkedIn, you know, yes. but I, I don't, I don't, um, not super active on that either, but yeah, you can definitely. Right. Um, and then there's my, my website for more information, lenadurhali.com. Yep. So I'm going to put all that obviously in the comments below mm. and Lena, yeah. thank you so much for coming. Thank on. you. I Corey. Really appreciate this is, it. This is one of my favorite interviews. Thank oh, awesome. you. Yeah, this good. Was, yeah. This was really um, a nice discussion and really easy. So right. thank you, you for podcast. having me. Don't you have a podcast? Yeah. Yeah. It's a psychology podcast um, sessions with Bob and Lena. It's with my um, a male colleague and we just talk about everything that comes up in therapy and it, it's supposed to sort of be like free therapy for people. So we talk about all different anxiety, trauma, relationships. I love that. We, That's awesome. We interview a lot of people too. So it's, it's not really just us, but we interview um, different experts in different niches. So yep. I saw yeah, you, had, cool. you had quite a bit of, I'm starting to get blown out. The light's starting to come through. So I'm like starting to disappear into the, yeah. into the, the whiteness. Um, side note, just real quick. Would you like kind of talk real, I know I will, we'll go real quick, but I just, like I, I do therapy, just tr- full transparency. Um, yeah. I think it's very important. Um, and it's, it's always been like, uh, you know, oh, you go to a shrink, you know, it's kind of been like mm-hmm. this, like thing, this negative connotation. Can you maybe just say one or two things about like how important it is? Not that everybody needs it or should go mm-hmm. to it, but maybe some, some words of advice. Oh, no, I would love to. It's so important. Thank you for bringing that up. Sure. And also that's awesome for you to be vulnerable. I think that's the most important thing is when people can say that and to normalize it and Therapists, like to become a therapist, I have to go to therapy to do that because like, I can't be a good therapist unless I know what it's like to be in the other person's chair. But I will say, I'll tell a personal story actually, since we're talking about vulnerability. Um, 
I did not want to be a couples therapist, but when I finished my grad school, I, you know, you have to get supervision and licensure and all these things. And my boss who hired me was at this, um, the Imago center in DC, where they do this type of couples therapy. And he's like, you know, we'll supervise you. You have your practice and everything, but like, this is, you have to get certified in this. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, kicking and screaming. And I was a newlywed. My husband and I had just got married. We were this. in the honeymoon phase of our relationship. <laughs> you know, it was a whirlwind romance. It was very exciting. You know, right. I was like, like uh, and, and so one of the things that we had to do, or I had to do is we have a couple's workshop. It's two full days. So it's like 22 hours and two days intensive workshop group. And my husband's very introverted. He's the opposite of me. He's very, he wears the same thing every day. He's like Steve Jobs in a black t-shirt. He's a tech guy. You know, we're just the most opposite people on the outside. And he does not. Um, And we're both actually from the Middle East and culturally Middle East therapy is a huge stigma. Right. Um, I was born and raised here. He was not. So even more so like, you know, he really grew up with it. Yeah. And I was like, Hey, you know, uh, if I get certified, there's this couple's workshop I have to go to and you kind of have to come with me. And he was like, no, there's people there. Like I'm not going to talk about, (laughs) this is forbidden. You know? So I went back to my boss. I'm like, I don't I gotta bring my, I can't convince him. And he's like, well, tell him, you know, you go into dyads. You don't have to speak in front of the group if you don't want to, blah, 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 blah. And I, you know, so I went in there all cocky. My relationship is good. We don't need mm-hmm. this. Like, you know, everything's great. And then we went and it was, uh, to be honest, one of the most transformative things I've ever done. There was so much crying, like even just thinking about it, how, um, how much it helped my marriage, you know, and we've had, you know, we've had to go through things like everybody else. Just like, like yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Children bring issues into a marriage. You know, my mother-in-law has dementia. I mean, there's so, and she's really far away. You know, there's so many things. Um, I've had some real bad health scares that he's had to, you know, go through with me and all of these, there's so many things we've been through that are hard. And we had that foundation because of that couple's workshop, you know? Um, And I'm so grateful to it every day. And I tell a lot of, not the couples that I work with, like, and individuals come when there's nothing wrong because- the saddest thing for me is that I had a couple come in and they had, you know, they had kids and they said, we wish we had come to you 10 years earlier because oh, wow. it was too far gone at that point. Yeah. There was too many, like they couldn't work through it. It was too much resentment. And so that is to your point, Corey is like, you don't, nothing has to be wrong to go. There's a, a lot of education and skills you can get that's preventative. Right. And just everybody needs somebody to talk to like somebody I saw today. She's one of those people who just pushes through. Oh, people have it worse than me. And I said to her, you've had so many traumas over these past two years. Like, it's okay for you to have a space to talk about yourself. 100%. That you couldn't be more right. Obviously, you yeah. do it every day. So, you know, and yeah. It's, yeah, I'm not, obviously, I have no background in that, but you're right. Yeah. And, and I, I grew up, I kind of like almost on that borderline of like the last kind of generation that was kind of like just deal with it. Okay. Put some, you know, rub some dirt on your, you know, your mm-hmm. boo-boo and don't cry. Don't talk about it. You know? So it, it was, it's always been difficult for me when I was like having to realize it, but you know, I have a, a great partner that's like, she's very much in tune with herself and understands it. And it was able to kind of like, kind of explain things in a different way. And like, I, I love it. It's the best thing I could ever done. Yeah. And, it, and you're right. It's not like, and I'm thinking like, Oh, nothing's really wrong. Everything's going well. I'm, I'm successful. Mm-hmm. I have a great job. My podcast mm-hmm. is doing well. Like I'm, I'm doing things, but there are things that you just don't even realize that yeah. you'll, that you will find in those situations mm-hmm. when you're talking to somebody. 
Exactly. And it's not indulgent. Everybody no. going to, everybody deserves a space to talk about themselves right. and to process things. So I think 100%. it's great. So thank you. Thank you for asking that question. And, um, Absolutely. and thank you for sharing that. I think it's important. Thank you for giving a little bit, you know, personal experience and some, yeah. some words of wisdom. Cause I think a lot of people that uh, definitely a lot of my listeners, cause a lot of them are like high level males, um, that just don't think like a lot of my friends, I'll, it's funny. I go like on Mondays and like my group texts with all my buddies. And I have those like seven, like five or seven guys that I've known for like my entire life. that are like my best friends, mm. which is kind of rare nowadays. It's amazing. Yeah. It, it's, it's, a, but to your point earlier, like having those mm -hmm. people to really lean on. And it's funny because mm -hmm. some of them are like, I'll text and I'll be like, you know, Hey, they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I just left therapy. They're like physical therapy. I'm like, no, <laughs> no mental therapy. And they're like, like what? I'm like, yeah. I was like, dude, you know, self-care, man. Like it's, yeah. it's important. And it's like, I'm 33. As you get older, the less you focus on that, I think the more damage you'll do to yourself personally. Yeah. But you are a very self-aware person. So <laughs> thank you. Keep, yes. keep, keep doing what you're doing. And, um, that's awesome. awesome. Well, that's good. Well, Lena, thank you so much again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This was really great. It was. And that's another episode for the E4 Explicit Podcast. And we'll see you next time.